Hey everyone, this is Pat from Sons of Saturday. Want to give you the scoop on the next uh, you know hour plus here for this episode. Just a couple quick notes before we get into it. Uh, I have a little weird audio thing going on at the beginning. I think I was kind of yelling into the mic. Please forgive me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we got an awesome interview come up with Josh Parcell. Uh, super awesome interview. Goes really in depth. You know, knows his stuff on the ACC, knows his stuff on uh, North Carolina, Charlotte sports as well, and uh, also tells some great anecdotes from his time living in Blacksburg for 22 years, uh, so that'll be awesome. Hope you guys uh, have seen the Instagram picture of Oscar Bradburn standing in the north end zone, putting his arm around a shirtless guy after the six-overtime victory. Uh, that was submitted... Uh, by one of our awesome followers, and his name is Caleb McCall. If you have any great content that you want featured, that we can feature on Sons of Saturday, please send it in. If you have not seen that picture of Oscar Bradburn hanging out in the north end zone in his football pads and helmet on after the victory, go check it out because it's awesome. And uh, keep the submissions coming, whether it's uh, via Gmail, uh, via Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Um, We will have a new episode coming up uh, later in the week as well. We want to talk about the big-time VT track and field men and women's uh, championship this past weekend because that was tremendous. Uh, And we'll also be collecting some more letters from the lunch pail. You can respond to our tweet or you can uh, send your own letter from the lunch pail to sonsofsaturdaypodcast at gmail.com and we will answer it on our episode. I want to put something on everyone's radar. We're going to be doing a segment, the 50-day kickoff before football season kicks off. Uh, We're going to be counting down the 50 greatest Hokies of all time, whether they are an athlete, whether they have gone out and done something great in the community. uh, We're going to be counting down from 50 to 1 those 50 days uh, between, I guess, mid-July and September 5th. So keep that on your radar. If you have anyone that you want to uh, submit, Please do that. Send that to Sons of Saturday Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us a couple of reasons why you think they should be in our rankings for the top 50 Hokies of all time. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we have locked in the Lyric. We're going to be playing at the Lyric Theater, Sons of Saturday, live at the Lyric on uh, the Friday before the Penn State game. And uh, we're looking for sponsors for that event. It's going to be incredible. And uh, we're looking to fill that to the gills. So if you are planning to go to the Penn State game and you want some plans for Friday night, make sure to make an effort to spend it with the Suns because it's going to be awesome. Also, before we start this episode, very, very, very important news. The Suns have a brand new sponsor. And we're really excited excited to start working with the Main Street Pharmacy. Shout out, uh, shout out Dr. Jeremy over there at Main Street Pharmacy. Uh, Main Street Pharmacy was actually named uh, the 2019 Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year. So huge shout out to them. But uh, you know, if if you are typically you know going to your Kroger or going to Food Lion, going to their pharmacies. Uh, you know, because you got the common cold and you want to get some stuff or whatever, please take your time and go to the Main Street Pharmacy. It is right on Main Street. It is literally literally walking distance from campus. And guess what? If you don't want to walk there, free delivery. Right next to campus, free delivery, and also free parking. I mean, 
It's unbelievable. You know, if you want to go to DPDO or, or Moe's and you want to swing in and pick up your prescription at the same time, you can do that because the proximity is perfect. And also, supporting the Main Street Pharmacy means supporting the Blacksburg community and supporting Virginia Tech. You know, we're all in this together. They got some great folks at Main Street Pharmacy. They are definitely on board with the, uh, the anti-Matt Ryan train, if you've, uh, if you've seen the social media. But we're going to be plugging Main Street Pharmacy, and you guys should go check it out because it is an awesome place and an awesome business, and we cannot wait to get it started. But I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let the 555 take you in with their song, The Edge, and we're going to kick this thing off. actually saw 555 on Saturday at Public Bar in D.C. Shout out Colin and the gang. You guys are awesome. Let's go, Hokies. Let's go, Suns. Let's start this episode. everyone good morning good afternoon good evening thanks for joining us here it's sunday march 1st this is march to quote john rothstein we have a very special guest joining myself and joining billy ray mitchell live from the 704 mr josh parcell josh what's going on man What's up, fellas? Thanks so much for having me. I am honored at the invitation. I never thought I would make it to the Sons of Saturday podcast, but here we are. I've made it. <laughs> you have made it. You guys are famous. <laughs> ah, I don't know about that. <laughs> trying to be. Trying to be. That's the goal. That's the goal. But um, yeah, man, we're doing good. Bill, what, what have you been up to up in uh, the ATL this weekend? So a little bit of life news. Uh, the Squirrel Sanctuary is being moved out of. It is my last day in uh, the 3200 Lennox Apartments. Um, got all my stuff out, just a, a couple couches to get out of there. Josh, long story short, I went to L.A. for about a week and then came back uh, to a destroyed house with dirt and broken glass. And I assumed I got broken into. Then I peeled back my covers and found a dead squirrel uh, under my in my bed. So... Long story short, told the leasing agency that I will destroy their reputation on Yelp or you're going to let me out of my lease. They were kind enough to let me out of my lease. So my last day there. Super excited about that. <laughs> Squirrels are taking over the world, man. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Kelsey Riggs of the ACC Network, she had a squirrel in her house too. Like I think oh it was God. a month ago now. Yeah, like she had she, animal control apparently like wouldn't come and take it. She had to like get it out of the house herself. Squirrels are taking over the world, man. You're lucky you survived. Well, she should have just went on a 10-day vacation and let it just uh, unfortunately go silent into the night and tuck itself in its inner bed, and she could have just thrown it out that way. But traumatizing experience nonetheless to know I put my head down and not know what other animals may be um, in my house. So I'm excited to move into a more uh, secure domicile for sure. Pat, what about you? You had the family up in, Ar uh, up in Arlington? Yeah, family came into town. We went out to some, some restaurants, walked around the city. That was about it. You know, it's low-key. It's always good to connect and, and see mom and dad and sister and brothers at school hanging out and enjoying his last semester. But uh, that was a lot of fun. But let's get to the, uh, the real meat and potatoes here. Josh Parcell, if you don't know him, Josh Parcell, he's a hokey, first of all. I mean, that's what we love about him. Uh, born and raised in, in the, uh, the NRV 
came through. Uh, I know Josh, you worked at ESPN for a little bit, and now working at WFNZ in Charlotte. But uh, you know, you provide some great content. I know you follow the Virginia Tech football and basketball programs very closely. Follow the ACC very closely, as well as the Hornets and the Panthers. But uh, you know, for for folks who might not be uh, acquainted with you, Josh, kind of just give us the elevator pitch, the rundown, a little bit of your background. Uh, you know, what you're passionate about and kind of like how you got to be where you are now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, like you said, I am a Hokie first and foremost. I have a ton of pride for, you know, where I grew up. I mean, born in Blacksburg, spent essentially my entire first 22 years of my life in Blacksburg. Uh, first game I went to, I think was 1994. Uh, we beat Akron 77 to 14. So pretty hooked from then on. Um, I remember back the Jim Druckenmiller days through Al Clark, Michael Vick, and and so on and so forth. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech football is really, really close to me. So is basketball as well. Obviously, that's taken a bit of a step forward in the last few years. But uh, I mean, I can't remember a time in my life where I wasn't going to games every single week uh, throughout the fall and winter. So yeah, I mean, grew up, like I said, in Blacksburg, graduated from Virginia Tech in 2012, uh, spent a lot of time when I was in school. I was working for the Collegiate Times, which is that even still a thing anymore? I know newspapers are supposed to be dying, uh, but I, I still I was a part of a newspaper. Uh, it, it makes me sound like a dinosaur, but I was the editor for the Collegiate Times and um, also worked with the ACC. Uh, I had a blog when I was in college. It's actually how I got really my start was I started a blog my sophomore year of college called ACC Mania. And I mean, I was just very passionate about writing about the ACC. I was talking football, basketball, even lacrosse, baseball, whatever it was. And um, it gained a good bit of traction. I mean, this is 2009 before blogs were really that big of a deal. I mean, there were certainly people who were doing it, but it wasn't like to the degree it is now where everybody has a podcast, everybody has a blog. It was still fairly new. Uh, I got a Twitter before anybody else I knew had one, at least among my friends. So, uh, you know, talked about the ACC a lot, ended up working for the ACC while I was in college. And then that led to a job at ESPN. And without going through that whole nine yards, I I spent a a year at ESPN as a researcher. I left there to go to Fox. Uh, I was actually part of the group that launched Fox Sports 1 all the way back in 2013. And... was there for about a year and always had aspirations to be on air. I wanted to be on television, wanted to be on radio. I liked doing the behind the scenes thing, but I knew eventually I wanted to get on air. And thankfully ESPNU was in Charlotte near Blacksburg, closer to home and also offered me an opportunity to come back, help produce. I was technically a senior associate producer, but I also was able to do some on air work. So I was doing stuff on ESPN.com uh, through ESPN social media pages. Um, and they have, they have invested millions of dollars in that now, but back then it was very easy for me to just be like, Hey, can I do stuff for ESPN.com or for their Facebook? And they were like, yeah, sure. Uh, do whatever you want. And thankfully they were pretty hands off and let me get a lot of really good, uh, practice and exposure and repetitions while I was at ESPN. And, uh, I, I like to say that I was probably the least expensive person that they laid off in 2017. Uh, there were a lot of people who had been there for about 30 years, uh, making a lot more money than me that they laid off. Obviously, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know ESPN has done a lot of cuts over the years. And I was part of a group Yeah, in April of 2017, was let go. And 
that led me to WFNZ. Uh, there's, I'm skipping a lot of other steps, I feel like, but without boring your listeners, that, that led me now where yeah, I host a daily radio show uh, in Charlotte from 10 to 2. I also host my own show, solo show, uh, at night from 6 to 7. Um, and then I recently, over the last five or six months, have started hosting on the ACC channel for SiriusXM and ESPNU. So that's been a blast. Keeps me really busy, but it's awesome to be able to talk about college sports, NFL, NBA, and get paid to do it. Uh, I never once take it for granted. And it's really cool to represent Virginia Tech and be able to do that as well. Um, you know, there aren't a ton of Virginia Tech grads who are, uh, you know, making a career out of sports media. So it's really, really cool. Myself and Kyle Bailey is another one who works at my station, too, who's a Hokie also. And it's really neat to be able to represent us in a market that's so close to Virginia Tech and, quite frankly, really important to the success of the programs. Awesome. Appreciate that. Fired up to have you again. Start out with football here. We love to ask, Hokies football has made a big push on social media, and it's been very different, been very exciting, gotten a little bit of more of a look behind the curtain of what's going on. If you were athletic director for the day and you could change anything about program or how we do things or make a suggestion, what, what would that be? That's a really hard question to answer. Uh, I, I think that one thing that has... I don't want to say bothered me, so to speak. Uh, I've been fairly critical in the past of certain decisions that they've made. But as someone who was around the program during its heyday of the late 90s, the early 2000s, and saw what made the program great then, there was a connection, I felt like, between the fan base and the coaches and the athletic department that I think it lost its way a little bit in the last five to 10 years or so, um, certainly in the transition from Beamer to Fuente. And that's not necessarily a knock on Justin Fuente or anybody in particular, but um, I felt like uh, like going to football games, for example, um, you know, I know they recently brought back Stick It In, which was great. Um, but I feel like the environment at the games has become a little bit more professional, if you will. Um, and it's lost some of the I think the atmosphere that used to make it great, um, certain upgrades have been really, really good. I mean, I think they've enhanced, you know, the, the, the intro from bringing the Johnny Cash, mu- Cash music before the game. Like, that's awesome. They didn't always do that. I don't know how many of your listeners realize that because maybe they've only been going to games for five, six years. But, you know, back in the day, it was just inner Sandman for a minute and 10 and that was it. And that's really cool. So that makes for a good environment that they've kind of enhanced that. But um I do feel like sometimes it feels like they've tried to professionalize it a little bit. And I also feel like the the program, like football in particular, and basketball especially under Buzz, wasn't very accessible to the fans. Um, and I would love to see a little bit more like what they've done on social media where, you know, they're just giving you a little bit more of an inside look at the school. Like I, I, I'm sure you guys saw the Quincy Patterson sit down with Hendon Hooker. Like that was awesome. And those are the kind of things that will just humanize the players a little bit more. I would love to see it a little bit more from the coaching staff, too, to be frank. And and they are doing some of that now. But, yeah, I mean, I I think just making the program a little bit more accessible. We all know that there's an issue where they need to raise more money. I mean, every program needs more money. But with the the donor support uh, being a huge priority for them right now, um, making a a stronger connection between the fans and – and the program, whether it's the players, the coaches, staff, whatever, I think would be really important. 
Um, I, I don't have any other specific suggestions, but I just feel like there's a little bit of a detachment that I didn't feel when Frank Beamer was here. I mean, Be- Beamer was someone that it felt like everybody was his best friend and he was really accessible. Um, it feels to, to over the last few years with football, we haven't quite had that same kind of environment or atmosphere. It feels like maybe they're trying to get back to that now, though, which is good. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, you know the hard hat mentality series and uh, yeah. you know Quincy and Hendon going back and forth and you know the most recent one was the Brock Hoffman one where we kind of got an inside look on Brock how his teammates feel about him and also got to uh, kind of get to know Coach Vice and Co- Coach Corn a little bit in front of the camera as well um, so yeah I th- I definitely agree with you as far as like you know we're trying to get back to it it seems yeah. like there's an effort it seems like. You know the the football program is kind of like all right, Hokie Nation, we hear you, and uh, you know we're we're taking steps to get there. Um, wanted to kind of touch on a little bit of recruiting, you know, with this new staff, this new regime, uh, specifically with the defensive staff. What are your thoughts? You know, being a a Blacksburg guy, and you know, being a a '90s and 2000s generational Hokie, uh, as far as like recruiting Virginia and. Uh, recruiting Texas and recruiting California, you know, we're seeing Los Angeles to VT, we're seeing Texas to VT, uh, VA to VT is still something that really sits in a lot of people's minds that, you know, they want that Virginia talent, but what are your thoughts, uh, you know, generally speaking on the whole recruiting movement, uh, other states instead of Virginia? It's interesting because recruiting at any school has never been more national than it is now. Uh, I mean, just the connections that you can make with recruits today is so much easier than you could, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, between having social media and the, uh, some of the recruiting regulations have been loosened for sure. Travel budgets have exploded for a lot of schools too. You just, you can recruit more nationally than you did in the past. Um, I, I know for a fact that when Justin Fuente got to Virginia Tech, he prioritized North Carolina. I mean, we, we saw the NC2VT thing, so that's not like I'm breaking any news there. But I know that, you know, I had conversations with him and people close to him that said, you know, Charlotte is closer to Blacksburg than Hampton Roads, right, and Newport News. So, it, and conversely, Hampton Roads and Newport News are closer to Chapel Hill than Charlotte is, right? So for, for Coach Fuente, I think he definitely tried to expand the borders a little bit for Virginia Tech. It worked to a degree, but it also backfired in some sense. And I heard John Yetzi on your guys' podcast, which, by the way, was awesome. That was a really, really good podcast, and I much must listen rather for any tech fan. But you know, he was talking about how they didn't love the class of Virginia last year, and some people overreacted to the fact that they didn't take a ton of kids from that class. And there's credence to that for sure, but. I don't want Virginia Tech to go down a road where what happened to Larry Fedora at North Carolina happens at Virginia Tech, where Fedora got off to a great start, lost in an ACC championship game a couple years in. Uh, I mean, had an onside kick where if they recovered it, they could have tied Clemson. Not that different from what Virginia Tech did with Clemson the next year. And over the course of a couple of years, Fedora started to lose trust and relationships with coaches in the state of North Carolina. And eventually that just, along with many other things that he did, kind of wore out his welcome at the school. And you saw when North Carolina went to Mac Brown, they prioritized reestablishing those relationships in state. It's okay to recruit out of state, but you have to be able to be the premier program in your state, especially in Virginia, where there is talent every year. I mean, there are 
five to 10 power five players typically every season in the state, you've got to be able to bring some of those guys in and establish yourself as the big time program, not just the Tidewater area, but also up through Northern Virginia where you're seeing Penn state and other sec schools go in and, and poach some of the best talent that the state has to offer that, that has to change. I, I like the, the changes that they've made to the staff though. I, I, I think that they made some difficult decisions, but some ones that I think should help them improve recruiting. You're seeing that happen right now with next year's class. You mentioned just kind of finding a formula to to win and to recruit more effectively. And this leads me to something that I've been excited to ask you about this because it's always a hot topic anytime you make this comparison. And I actually, for the most part, really like and agree with this comparison. You've often liked in VT to Iowa and Wisconsin when making Power 5 comparisons. People freak out because I think more so they misunderstand what they mean. And a lot of people live in fantasy land. Can you kind of, one, take us through what you mean by comparing us to an Iowa or a Wisconsin, and then what our program needs to do to emulate them and see the success that, I mean, there's no question if you can say we could have the success that Wisconsin has tomorrow, anybody would take that. Wisconsin has been ultra successful. How can we mimic that? Yeah, I mean, listen, Wisconsin has won five Big Ten championships in the last 20 years. Virginia Tech has won, what, I think six conference titles in the last 20 years. It's, it's something right around there. I don't have the number in front of me, but it's, it's pretty comparable. Uh, Wisconsin, since they expanded the Big Ten and divided it into two divisions, they've won five division titles. I mean, Wisconsin is a great program. It, it, I find it really fascinating that when I've said that, people have been offended by it. <laughs> like, that is a tremendous program that will probably never win a national championship. Like, Wisconsin is going to have to hit – an absolute home run with a quarterback, with a quarterback. Like they're not even a running back. They've had great running backs. That hasn't changed the fact of the matter that Wisconsin is probably their ceiling is get to a playoff once every 10, 15 years, you know, maybe twice if, if you have a good run. But to me, that's where Virginia Tech is. Virginia Tech is is not in the deep south. It doesn't have a fertile recruiting territory. It doesn't have an enormous budget. Its recruiting staff budget is, I want to say right now, half of Rutgers. I mean, like if you just look at the the changing of uh, you know finances in college football, the SEC and the Big Ten are growing very rapidly. Virginia Tech is in the middle of the pack in the ACC, which is kind of the third league when it comes to you know annual revenue. The Big Ten and the SEC are you know generating fifty million dollars a year. In broadcast rights, that's huge. So I think for Virginia Tech, there's been this weird shift, guys, and I don't, I don't mean this in a negative way. I actually really appreciate a lot of the work that you guys do because I think you've done a really good job at helping kind of change the narrative when it comes to social media and the internet to a degree. Like I have noticed that, and I think that's really important. But but there's this new generation of Virginia Tech fans who may or may not have ever lived through the best years of Virginia Tech football, which was, you know, really started in the mid-90s. Michael Vick hit a different level. But then throughout the Tyrod Taylor, like the Marcus Vick, Brian Randall, Tyrod Taylor era, Virginia Tech was really, really good. The ACC was also not that great. And Virginia Tech was kind of like a Wisconsin right now. Like the Big Ten West is a lot like the ACC Coastal, where you've got a lot of programs that are fine, they're good. There's not a single, I think, team in either one of those divisions that or in the Big Ten West that you would say is a you know bona fide blue blood national championship contender. And Virginia Tech had a really good coach, kind of like a Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin for a long time, that sustained success. Rose Bowls at Wisconsin. Virginia Tech was making Orange Bowls and Sugar Bowls. They're very similar programs. 
But let's face it, unless you get a once-in-a-generation quarterback like Mike, what Michael Vick meant to Virginia Tech, you're probably not winning a national championship. I mean, Tyrod Taylor was amazing. He's one of my favorite Hokies of all time. But during his run here, I mean, Virginia Tech, the, the closest they came would have been, I guess, well, Tyrod technically was his freshman year in 07 when we got slaughtered by LSU on the road. If we don't lose to Boston College – we might make the national championship game. Were we going to lose to LSU again by 40? Like we just didn't belong on the same field as them. We didn't have the same athletes as, as them as well. So that team wouldn't have won a national championship, despite how great the defense was. The 2010 team, you know, came within a, a couple of plays of beating Boise State. I was there. It was depressing. <laughs> um, but, and then, you know, the JMU loss was the one that really killed them. But even if you don't lose to JMU, that team's probably not winning a national title. It got smoked by Stanford at the end of the year in the Orange Bowl. So, uh, Virginia Tech fans just need to recalibrate. I think the expectation should be, and this is a problem, by the way, all of college football. Like 99% of college football fan bases are completely delusional. But Virginia <laughs> Tech fans need to realize what you had in the mid-2000s is probably as good as it's going to get. And if you can pop out nine wins a season, you know, maybe you get to 10 wins most years, but not every year, I think that should be fine. And you know, we could. I, you guys have spent a lot of time, I'm sure, diving into the state of the program as it is right now. I got a lot of thoughts on that, but I mean, I just think Virginia Tech fans need to recognize how far the program fell at the end of Beamer's era, what Fuente inherited, and what the standards should be. I mean, if if Justin Fuente wins nine games next year, I don't want to hear anybody complaining about you know the state of the program. That that should be an acceptable year for Virginia Tech. Could they be better? Absolutely, but nine wins is. I think enough in most years in Blacksburg. Definitely agree with you there, Josh. And then before we kind of segue over to basketball here, um, you know, I feel like we can kind of wrap, wrap up the football conversation with some Hokie club kind of want to understand, you know, your perception of the Hokie club being around Blacksburg for such a long time. Just kind of want to understand your general perception and, you know, things that you think it can do to improve as well. So, I'm not going to pretend like I know every intricacy of the Hokie Club very well. I do donate. Um, my parents donated for a long time. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, now I'm not going to have any buildings named after me anytime soon. But you know, I, I give my my contribution every year. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the difference in the Weaver era to the Babcock era. There is some good and some bad. Overall, I'm very happy with the job that Whit Babcock has done. Um, Weaver was a little too familial, if that makes sense. Like he, he was very low key, sm- small time in a way where it was like, you didn't have to do a whole lot to keep your job as the head coach, which in a community like Blacksburg was great. It's a small town. It's not a hustle and bustle place. You don't have fans demanding championships in every other sport. I mean, I like, for example, I knew Scott Thomas very well, who was the softball coach. He was my dad's best friend growing up. And Scott, for a long time, did really, really well. Virginia Tech's not a place where you're going to dominate softball. I mean, you're just you're not in the South. You're not on the West Coast. Like, you're just not going to be in Arizona or a Florida or whatever. But he was consistently competitive. Um, had that team that beat the the U.S. Olympic team in 2008. Angela Tencher, no hits the Olympic team. Like, he had some really good runs. And, you know, he was prone to the occasional down year. I'm using softball as an example here. This happened in a handful of sports. But Scott had a down year a couple of seasons ago in softball, and he was let go. And I don't think that would have happened under Weaver. I think Witt has has tightened up the – 
I think the you know the strings a little bit on these coaches and held them to a higher standard, which overall is a good thing. Um, and I, I like the job that Witt has done. As far as the Hokie Club is concerned, like I said, I don't have a ton of insight in, into that really. Um, but I do think going back to the one thing that is important is I want to make sure that there is incentives for these fans to feel like they are involved with the program. I mean, I want the spring game to be more of an event. I want, you know, the game day has become a pretty cool event. Um, I, I like some of the things that they have implemented, uh, the Hokie village across from lane stadium is a neat little touch or whatever. But, um, I would love to see more access for fans who are donating their time and money, uh, whatever that may be. Um, I think that would be a really cool touch by Whit Babcock. Um, but other than that, I, I think that Whit has done a, a really, really good job. I've been critical of him publicly in the past. He's handled it well. We've had conversations. Um, and he's he's a really good sport about it. I mean, he, he gets it really, really well. The Virginia Tech overall is really lucky to have him. Couldn't agree more about uh, being lucky to have Wit. You know, from, from a coaching hire perspective and then just like oh. from an overall, like, you know, you know he wants to be here and he is really – uh, you know, just embodies that in the culture. Now, um, as we kind of move over to basketball here, off of the heels of this super, super tough Virginia loss <laughs> earlier in the week, I mean, you know, we lo- we've lost, I guess, eight of nine games, but at the same time, you know, you have to really admire the fight and the tenacity that this team had last Wednesday. They could have, you know, completely folded after that first half. But, you know, just kind of want to hear your overall thoughts about the uh, the Mike Young era to this point, uh, you know, it's March 1st and uh, they see tournaments coming up, but kind of want to hear, you know, your your season uh, review and, uh, you know, kind of any excitement that you have for the future. Uh, well, I have a ton of excitement for the future. I, I think Mike Young was an awesome hire and it took me a little bit of time to come around on that. Now, once he was hired, I was in, but I just remember going through the process and there were the, the Wojo rumors and the Kevin Willard rumors and every other rumor on the face of the earth. And Mike Young wasn't the first name that jumped to my mind as the guy like, we have to have this guy. But as soon as he was hired and you get to know him and hear from him a little bit more, it, it made perfect sense why he's the Virginia Tech coach. And he really is very Beamer-like in a lot of ways, which clearly the fan base has responded to and respects a lot. Um, I'm not super concerned about the wins and losses this year. I, I mean – They've won six ACC games. That's as more than I thought they would win this year with as much uh, talent that they lost after last season. I mean, Buzz did such a great job of just putting this program on the map. Full disclosure, I know some people didn't like the way Buzz left. Buzz Williams is my favorite coach in America. I, I, I absolutely love that way, the way that guy approaches the job, um, the way he gets his players to buy in, the lessons that he teaches. Some people didn't like it by the end. Um, I get it, but... I, Virginia Tech is nowhere close to where it is right now if it's not for Buzz Williams. So I get kind of annoyed sometimes at the people who are annoyed that he left. Um, it, it is who he is. I mean, that that's kind of his M.O. is to stay in a place for five to seven years and then move on. He did more for this program than anybody's done in a, ever, uh, and especially a long time. So where they are now, guys, I mean, look, Virginia, by the way, first of all, made a deal with the devil when they lost to a 16 seed that they will make every buzzer beater for the rest of eternity <laughs> after losing to UMBC. They have yeah. not – think of every 
clutch play, final second play. Like they've they've either hit a game winner Saturday night, yep. they beat Duke, uh, Huff blocks a shot at the end. Like they just they never they will never lose another game in the final seconds again. If you're going to beat Virginia, you need to be up by more than three at the end of the game because they're going to beat you if the if the game is within a possession. But um, yeah, I mean, look, Virginia Tech's headed in the right direction. Young's got a really good staff. I love the assistants. They're recruiting really well. Um, I'm not concerned that they've lost a bunch of games as of late. I mean, beating Michigan State earlier in the year, uh, heck of a win over North Carolina, you know, in overtime, which I know UNC has been down, but that was still a great environment. Uh, I think people should be thrilled that they have Mike Young. Oh, really cool story, by the way. I should have mentioned this. Um, I was at the Final Four last year, and we interviewed Mike Young. Now, at the time, he was still Wofford's head coach. And, you know, there's a bunch of coaches that are making the rounds on Radio Row. You know, we interviewed a dozen coaches um, and we talked to Mike Young. It was me and Kyle Bailey, who's a tech grad as well. And we asked him, we were like, so, like, what do you think about this Virginia Tech job? Like, whether that ever interests you? And he gave a really political answer. It was like, oh, you know, like, it would be cool whatever. But, you know, pretty much downplayed it. Little did we know he had interviewed with Wit right before coming to sit down with us. <laughs> like, that was apparently the first interview that I know of uh, was coming right off of that. So it was kind of neat. We had pretty good timing there, connecting some dots. And after the fact, we, we I caught up with him in, in uh, Charlotte this year. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I couldn't really say much, but uh, you had pretty good timing with the question there because uh, <laughs> it, 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 almost like you, I thought maybe you had tapped into the phone line or something, but no, it was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, he's, he's the man. I, I love Mike Young and he's, He's not going to leave in five years if he gets to a Sweet 16. Question. Uh, you mentioned the environment at the UNC game, and, and Pat and I were actually at the Florida State game uh, a couple weeks ago, and the environment there was just insane, too. You've been around, again, you've been around Virginia Tech for such a long time, and I've watched all these programs kind of transcend, go up, go down. Buzz did an incredible job of changing the culture around basketball. Like, that place is packed, regardless of how we played last game, regardless who we're playing. I mean, just kind of, I, I can't say enough about the basketball culture at Virginia Tech. Has it ever been like that? First years of Greenberg. I mean, it, it's unbe- it really is uh, unprecedented, I think. The, the first year of Greenberg, I think they won two Big East games. Uh, it, it took a little bit of time. I mean, he, he got it going, but um, this is definitely different. And again, a lot of credit to Buzz. I mean, I'm glad that you say that because Buzz Williams made basketball a priority for Virginia Tech fans. I, I, in 2000, like that kind of period of time, I went to men's games and I went to women's games. And the women drew twice as many fans as the men. I, and the, I mean, the women's program was on fire then, but the men's program was irrelevant. It was in the Atlantic 10 and then it transitioned to the Big East and it took getting into the ACC before fans really started to come to games. And what I've been most impressed with, and you kind of mentioned it there, is the fact that they're, they can lose five games, five of six, you know, seven of eight, whatever it is, and that place is still packed the next day. I mean, this team is out of the NCAA tournament at this point. They hopefully can win a game or two down the stretch and end up sneaking into the NIT. But, I mean, like this team is struggling, and it doesn't matter. The fans are still there, and I think that's great because I've been in Castle for some of the best games that they've had. I remember them beating North Carolina in overtime. I remember them knocking off number one Duke. Uh, in 2000 and I guess it would have been 2012. Um, like I remember some of the great games and, and that place is amazing when you get the corners full and, and students packed in there behind the basket. I mean, it's a loud arena visiting teams hate going there. And I, I love it, man. I mean, we've seen the passion Virginia tech fans have for football. They're some of the most loyal fans in the country. Uh, the fact that you've now been able to translate that to hoops is 
is a definitely exciting moving forward. Once this team gets going, they're the second youngest team in America. So you bring back all of that, you know, youth next year, add a couple more recruits like they have. I mean, I'm, I'm excited, man. I, I need to get up for a game. I haven't made it up for one this year, but I, I plan on making it for a few next season because, I mean, how can you not want to go be a part of what Mike Young is doing? It's just – it's incredible to think about it. I mean, when we uh, – my freshman year when we were still living in the dorms, it would uh, go into the basketball games. I mean, I don't, I don't remember how many games. We probably won five games my first year there. And it would be uh, everybody in our suite would be like, do you want to go to the basketball game? Yeah. yeah, I guess. Like, we'll go We'll go there. And we used to literally bring our homework in our laptop. We'd connect to, <laughs> to the VT Wi-Fi and would put legs over the chairs in front of us because no one was in a backpack <laughs> next to us. And just watch and just watch the basketball game and do homework and to see where it's gotten now is 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 just absolutely unbelievable. No, it really is. I mean, I was watching. I guess it would have been it was the Miami game that that three overtime game. I mean, just the, the crowd packed for. a I mean, Miami's not any good either. I mean, nope. to, to to be there for a, a game between two teams that are cellar dwellers in the ACC. Yep. That's. It's awesome, man. It, it's really exciting, and I mean, Virginia Tech can be good at basketball. You, it's no reason not to be at. They're they're in a good spot, man. So you mentioned that you went up to the Final Four up in Minneapolis and got to see Mike Young. Talk to us about the ACC tournament. Are you going? What are you excited to see? And uh, just kind of run through that. Of course, I'm going. I haven't missed an ACC tournament in in years, man. I mean, Woo. if I'm since I've been in Charlotte, I mean, except when it was in Brooklyn, I should. Well, I was about to I, ask you if you went I, to Brooklyn. I, 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 well, yeah, that that it should never be in Brooklyn. I apologize to the Northeast, but it should You're never right. ever be in. Brooklyn. I agree. It is ridiculous. Right. I agree. The tournament goes up there, it, not even DC. And I, I, Pat, I think you're in like Arlington, right? But yep. I'm sorry. Uh, you need to drive down to, to Tobacco Road <laughs> for the ACC tournament. This is yep. where it belongs. Yep. But I haven't missed it when it's been in, in Charlotte or Greensboro in a long time. So, um, yeah, man, it's going to be a blast. It, who the hell knows who's going to win this thing? I mean, I, I can't wait to see the odds come out. I was texting a buddy about this. I, I, I'm hoping I get Notre Dame at like 20 to 1. Like, I, I just feel like <laughs> a Notre Dame, a Clemson, um, hell, even, even like a – like I mean, like Wake Forest just knocked off freaking Duke, yeah. and they had a double-digit lead on Louisville. I mean, all of these teams are so close. I think the ACC is one of three conferences this year where every team in the league has won five conference games. So it's just nuts how how close everybody in this league is. But uh, man, a good chance for some Hokie fans to come and show out. Greensboro is a great place for the tournament. I'll be down there. I'm doing stuff with WFNZ and uh, the ACC channel for XM. So. Uh, I can't wait to get down there and represent. Are you guys going to make it? Uh, I wish, man. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the deep breath. <laughs> next year. Next year. We'll, we'll take some PTO days and we'll get down there. Because uh-huh. is it going to be in Charlotte next year? or D- I think D.C. next year, actually. D.C. next year. Yeah. yeah. So, Pat, you don't have any excuses. <laughs> I will be there. I, I made it to the uh, the Sweet 16 this past year. So, uh, oh. I got no excuses. Yeah, that's another big sigh. <laughs> going, in, uh, going into your uh, into your career, and you mentioned it. I mean, it is the Amer- I'm very jealous of you. It is the it is the sports lovers American dream. You get to talk sports, get paid for it. It's got to be awesome. Just want to ask you a little bit about your career. What is what is your favorite interview that you've ever hosted, whether it be related to Virginia Tech or or unrelated to Virginia Tech? Mm, it's a great question. Um, I'll give you I'll give you two. Okay. Um, one, 
was, and this is cool for like, if you have listeners who are students who are interested in getting into sports media, like this is a question I think that'll hopefully serve as a little inspiration for them. When I was a sophomore, um, I was in a media writing class and I had never interviewed anybody before. I had not, well, like anybody of relevance. I'd interviewed like high school basketball players for like the Roanoke Times, but like I hadn't interviewed anybody, you know, like a big name. And I emailed Ivan Mazel, who is a great longtime college football writer, uh, written a bunch of books. He'd been at Sports Illustrated, ESPN for a long time. And it was for a class project, but it was part of like a blog series that we were doing and it was all kind of tied in. And I emailed him at nine in the morning as soon as I got out of the 8 a.m. class. And I thought I would never hear from him. It was supposed to be like a career, you know, interview somebody in your field. Most people were going to interview someone locally. And I was like, you know what? I'm shooting for the biggest name I can think of. Ivan Mazel is the best college football writer, in my opinion, at the time in the country. So I, I emailed him. He emailed me back before I got to my dorm. And I thought that was really, really cool. And he said, yeah, w- when do you want to talk? Like, I'll be happy to. And we ended up setting up the interview. I don't remember a day later or something like that. And ended up talking to him for almost an hour. I asked him for 10 minutes and we had a super long conversation. Um, and I was able to write about not only his like career path, but then we talked college football and stuff. And he just was the first person that I basically networked with when I was in school and kind of inspired me, one, just to keep working. It was it was just an invigorating interview, but also um, never to – it was a great reminder never to be afraid of rejection, I guess, you know, when you're reaching out to somebody. I mean, if you're in whatever field, whether it's sports media or finance or in, in whatever, um, reach out to the people that you admire and you aspire to be. And if you don't hear from 100 of them, but you do hear from one – Hopefully that one can help you along the way. And Ivan became a reference for me when I applied for ESPN. And so was Bruce Feldman. I did this. That led to me interviewing Bruce Feldman. But anyway, that's the one um, interview that was just really important to me in my life. But then the other one is actually just more kind of funny. Uh, Tim Brando, who's a longtime ACC play-by-play guy. He's been a radio host for a long time. Uh, He... No one has ever screamed at me as loud as Tim Brando screamed at me on the radio. I so I told him this was like two years ago. It was like my second week on the job as a full-time radio host. And I asked Tim Brando a question and I said something to the effect of Alabama had a tough schedule. This is in August. So this is preseason. And I was like looking at Alabama's schedule. And you know, they play in the SEC West. Like they play LSU, they play Auburn, like they play a tough schedule. And Tim Brando hates anyone who tries to prop the SEC up in any way, shape, or form. So Brando told me that it was the most asinine question he had ever heard on Sports Talk Radio and proceeded to just obliterate my soul for like 10 minutes straight. And it turned into a bit of a screaming match between the two of us. It's incredible radio. I'll try to find it and send it to you guys afterwards because it is Brando just unrelenting over Alabama's schedule uh, but it, it turned out to be one of the best things that happened to me. It like kind of helped put our not put our show on the map. That sounds probably like a bigger deal than it was. But like people heard, talked about it in Charlotte. Like FNZ fans were like, "That was one of the best interviews we ever heard." Like, I mean, it was all at my expense. I got screamed at, but I also <laughs> the, the funny the funny part, the best part of it was, is that he talked about how Northwestern was uh, one of the most underrated teams in the Big Ten. And I don't know how this tied into the Alabama thing. I think he was talking about the, like Wisconsin schedule or something. And he was like, Northwestern's going to win 10 games this year. 
I think Northwestern went three and nine <laughs> that season. And I like basically I just uh, I let him have it. We, he had him back on. We've had him only five times since then. But I remember getting him back on a few months later and being like, yeah, how's that Northwestern take working out for you, Brando? And, <laughs> it's been fun ever since. Uh, that's hilarious. So, Josh, speaking of takes, uh, I want to hear about life in Charlotte because I, I hear that there's this tradition that goes on. You know, it's like a weekly tradition during football season or basketball season. Can you just can you tell us a little bit about it? Because Bryce and Dave have been uh, telling me all about hot wings and hotter takes. Oh yeah, man! It's actually really really fun. So. Uh, we've got a group of five or six friends who I know listen to this podcast and we get together uh, during the season. We try to get together every month or so. Um, we definitely have a preseason get together. That's like our annual gathering now, but we find a local wing joint in, in Charlotte. There's a lot of them out there. Great barbecue. Uh, if you're ever down this way, we're happy to show you the best spots. And we just get together and talk tech football for a couple of hours. And it's, uh, it's awesome, man. Like it's, it's great to have friends who are, who are big tech fans and, um, I like to sit back and listen to them go. I mean, I get to talk about this every day for a living. So even if I'm not talking tech football all the time, it's it's neat to just be able to get together and and talk with buddies and um, you know get excited for hokey football. I know uh, my friend uh, my friend Bryce has some of the more wild takes out there. I know he's going to listen to this. I'm going to call him out for it. He said last year that Nikhil Alexander Walker was overrated and didn't look like a first round pick, and this was in like the first week of the season he goes on to average like 20 a game becomes like a mid round mid first round pick and now he's balling out in new orleans and i never let bryce forget the fact that he uh he tried to say one at one of our hot wings and hotter takes that his hottest take ever was that Nikhil alexander walker wasn't that good <laughs> it's hard to come back from that one <laughs> um Josh, so as we ride, uh, as we wind down here, we're gonna we're gonna get into the letters from the lunch pail. Got a bunch of suggest, a uh, bunch of a uh, bunch of submissions here. Some of which had to do with the, or a lot of which had to do with the Panthers. So we're saving that for the end. Sure. Uh, but we'll just run through some of the more hokey related ones. Ryan Hartman, uh, who is an English major, you'll understand that in a second. Uh, to Josh and the Suns, with the addition of Hoffman this year and our cavalcade of backs, do the Hokies have the best <laughs> running game in the ACC this year? Cavalcade. Yes. Wow. That SATs. Is, that is, yeah. I, why is he at Virginia Tech? He should be at like Harvard. <laughs> um, all right. So, no, they don't have the best running backs in the ACC. I Listen, Clemson just brought back Travis Etienne. <laughs> they, they have the best running back. Lynn J. Dixon is the backup. He would have rushed for 1,500 yards next year if Etienne was gone. So, Clemson is kind of in a different level. They're, like, barely in the ACC at this point. They're, they're an SEC school that just gets to play against all the ACC teams every year. But um, Clemson is loaded – I think it's going to be a close race between Tech and North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina <laughs> brings back Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Mm-hmm. That's basically 2,000 yards rushing between the two of them. Yep. That's a more proven backfield than what Virginia Tech has, um, even with the transfers coming in, Herbert and Blackshear. Um, the other school that I think has a pretty good backfield to, uh, to uh, coming in next year is Javian Hawkins at Louisville. Uh, they also have Hassan Hall. They, they combined for about 2,000 yards last year, too. Hawkins. 1500 by himself but yeah so i mean tech's kind of in that second tier right behind clemson but yeah i mean it's a great backfield man i mean like uh herbert did a lot of good stuff at kansas early in his career and blackshear you know kind of an interesting story where he 
transfers but stays and practices with the team for the rest of the season and then decides once Shana is hired to move on. And uh, he was in what honorable mention all Big Ten guy you know, two years ago. So mm-hmm. there's some talent there. Uh, and Fuente needed it. I'm glad that he was able to go out on the grad transfer market and get some talented backs. You you mentioned it just a just an add on here. A lot of people are sleeping on Louisville. Like Louisville is a, is a damn good fo- is going to be a they're damn good, good man. football team next year. They they're are really a very good. good football team. Yeah, they're, they're going to finish in the top 25. Uh, I'm telling you right now. They're, they're not going to be ranked top 25 to start the year. I know FPI has them around 35 right now. Um, but that Scott Satterfield is one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, what he did at Appalachian State, uh, Eli Drinkwitz yeah. owes, owes him royalties for that $5 million deal he got at Missouri because uh, Satterfield built a, a force at App State. And, and no disrespect to Drinkwitz, but he walked into a gold mine there and I mean, Satterfield turned around instantly at, at Louisville. They're, and they are loaded coming back next year. They yeah. lose Makai Becton, but outside of that, I mean, that skill position-wise, they're as good as anyone in the league outside of Clemson. It's going to be a battle in Louisville. And then a bonus from Ryan Hartman. What current Hokie would you most like to see playing for the Panthers next uh, at the ne- – or playing for the Panthers at some point? Mm. <sighs> um, oh, that's a good one. So I have a special place in my heart for Dax. Um, okay. I love, I, I know Dax and, uh, and it's kind of got moved out out of position because of Rayshard Ashby. I'm going to go with Trey Turner though. Uh, and Trey is just, he's a North Carolina kid, first of all, which so is Dax, but, uh, Trey, North Carolina kid, special, put the ball in his hands. He makes plays. Trey's got to put on a little bit of weight. Uh, I think if he wants to get to the next level, he's, he's explosive, but he's not like Tyreek Hill explosive. <laughs> so he's got to get bigger, but I would love to see Trey Turner make it to the next level. He's such a good dude, great leader, really important for this team right now. And be cool, a little bit of a homecoming for him going. He's a Greensboro native. There you go. Um, from Grant Watson, uh, first of all, I love the radio show, and your Twitter account is filled with quality content. Much appreciated. Nice little plug there. Uh, did you guys play any intramurals as students? If so, do you have any championship T-shirts, and what was your best memory playing? Uh, I do have a championship T-shirt. Uh-huh. I I was a part of an absolutely stacked uh, intramural softball team my senior year. We blew everybody away. We were so good. Like we, I think we mercy ruled just about everybody. I was the third base coach. I didn't play, but I got a T-shirt. We were loaded, but it wasn't because of me. I was just the one. <laughs> I literally, uh, I, I did the proverbial uh, coattail riding of that championship team. So I got my championship shirt before I left school. Uh, our Pike softball team was loaded, but I, I had nothing to do with it. But they were really good. <laughs> gotcha. Intermurals was the best, man. I think, uh, I think it was my freshman year uh, was my first time playing flag football in intramurals. And we had a bunch of buddies from the dorm. Uh, Connor Baker was on that team. I think Will Bradley might have been on that team. But uh, Connor was buddies with Michael Cole, one of our former uh, defensive backs, who actually uh, had a career-ending injury against Florida State in 2012. And Mike had been recovered from the surgery. Obviously, he couldn't play, you know, contact football again. But uh, it was fun because he played on our team, and he was such a beast. Uh, offense and defense, just, you know, leaps and bounds better than anyone else on the field. So that's my little uh, intramural tidbit. Never won anything, though. <laughs> I never uh, participated in intramurals, but we had one of our, our backup long snapper, Joe Callis, who's actually uh, training to be in the Army right now. So shout out to him. No phone, no computer, no internet. Um, he uh, decided to uh, move on from football and then started doing intramurals. So 
um, we all decided that we would show up to his first intramural game. Uh, it was like me, Isaiah, Mike Santa Maria, Gerard, like everybody showed up. The athletes weren't allowed to play, but that was a blast. He threw up the X, he scored a touchdown. And then I'm like the kickoff or like the next play, he ended up, he ended up getting a grade three sprain of his ankles. So like got a great picture of like Gerard and Isaiah carrying our former backup uh, long snapper off of the intramural fields. So there's the, uh, there's that intramural story. You got to play with heart. By the way, uh, greatest intramural team in Virginia Tech history was Tyrod Taylor and Cam Chancellor's basketball team, their freshman oh, year. It, they beat the living hell out of everyone. It was stupid. Now, they, they weren't allowed to play. I, I'm pretty sure after their first – Cam might have been actually a little older than Tyrod, but I remember it was Tyrod's freshman year. That team uh, obliterated everyone and for yeah obvious reasons. I'll tell you what was fun, too, is, is, is freshman year when we came in, and the basketball team, again, was kind of in flux. Um, Isaiah Ford, Cam, and Terrell were all really good in, uh, in high school. Yeah. So they basically, I would sit under the basket and grab rebounds. But they would, like, single-handedly play the basketball team in uh, McComas and, like, win or lose by, like, one or two <laughs> points. They would, they would literally just come in, start playing basketball. I would, I would grab rebounds or, or somebody else, whoever else was around, would grab rebounds. And uh, Isaiah, Isaiah, 100% could have played basketball at uh, at Virginia Tech, and actually had the option to, but um, elected to stay with football. And I think obviously worked out for him uh, for the best. Um, Tech, Tech has had a lot of those like dual sport guys. It's kind of neat. Like Jeff King back in the day yeah. was like this gritty tight end from Pulaski County. Ended up playing basketball. I mean, Devin Wilson was more recent too. Uh, I watched D'Angelo Hall in a dunk contest one time for like charity oh. or something, mm-hmm. and he. He won the dunk contest, obviously, but they've had some dudes. It'd be kind of fun. I actually was watching the NFL Combine, and they asked um, an LSU player if he could put together his starting five from the LSU football team, like, but make a basketball starting five. It's kind of a fun, like, creative question. It'd be kind of cool to do for Virginia Tech, like, all-time Virginia Tech football. Like, if you took football players and made an all-time starting five, Logan Thomas would be in there, a bunch of other guys, too. It'd be fun. Another example, Justin Robinson was going to play baseball at Virginia Tech, but Buzz ultimately talked him out of it. He was a really good baseball player. Huh, I never knew that. If you if you could have one Virginia Tech player back for one more year, who would it who who would it have been? For example, would you have wanted Mike Vick for another season or Tyrod to have been redshirted and have one more year after his senior year? Hmm. It would have been great to have Tyrod in 11 because that team, I mean, no disrespect to Logan, but I mean, Tyrod was on another level and Mm -hmm. that team that got to the Sugar Bowl, I I think we saw, I hate to be negative about Logan, but we saw the drop off of Logan when, when those receivers left after that year and David Wilson was gone, Uh, that team would have probably competed for a national title, been in the conversation with Tyrod. Mm -hmm. So that's a good one. Um, Mm -hmm. Man, I mean, Michael Vick, I won't even say bring back Vick for another year. But if you guys remember, if Vic did not sprain his ankle against Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh right. in 2000, I was at the game. I was there. And he limps off the field. And God bless Dave Meyer for having to go into that game and then start the next week against Miami. I think it was number two versus number three. I think we were two. Miami was three uh, in the Orange Bowl. And we still gave him a run. Vic came into the game, tried to go. It wasn't happening. Uh, we still hung around with them. That was a loaded Miami team. If Vic does not sprain his ankle, 
I think we beat Miami, and I know we win in the national championship game. I, I forget if it would have been Florida State or Oklahoma that we would have played, but that was the year that they met, and it was like 13-2 to two in the Orange Bowl, like national championship. We would have won the national title that year. That 2000 team was better than the 99 team. But because Vic got hurt, we remember the 99 club because, of course, they went undefeated and played for the national title. That hurts. Well, that's heartbreaking. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, not, not, not to bring down the mood. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, potential to brighten the mood from Dougie Fresh. Uh, predicted 2020 end-of-year coastal standings. And kind of throw in us, what are you, uh, what are you expecting and hoping for uh, going into the season? Ooh, all right. So I think that there are three teams at the t- – three and a half teams that have a legitimate shot to win the coastal this year. Virginia Tech is definitely one of them. North Carolina is going to be the preseason favorite. Uh, they bring back virtually everybody. And the last thing we saw was Sam Howell lighting up Temple in the bowl game. So people will, will remember that. Mac Brown is also just former ESPN guy, national championship coach. Like Mac's going to get the, the, the attention, I think, going into the preseason. But North Carolina, Virginia Tech, I actually think Pittsburgh is going to be very good. Um, in terms of the coastal, I mean, they're, you know, borderline top 25 team, but a team that can win the division, they have a ton of talent on defense coming back. If they can get a running game. Um, I know tech fans, if you only watched Pitt play Virginia tech last year, you're probably thinking I'm crazy right now, but that, that was a team that had a lot of close losses that, I mean, they could have easily been a 10 win team last year. They, They lost to Boston college in the season finale. That was a weird game. They should have beat Miami. Miami scored on a last minute touchdown to beat them. Uh, they had Penn State on the ropes, lost that game on the road. So I mean, Pitt was Pitt was not that bad last year and better than maybe the record indicated for them. So I think Pitt's going to be pretty good. And then Miami's the wild card. I'm never going to buy in on Miami, but uh, until they prove it, you know, for a full 12 game season. But you can't deny bringing Derek King in and Quincy Roche what that's going to do for both sides of the ball. Um, but listen, Miami has had talent every year for the last 15 years, and it hasn't mattered. So I think Virginia Tech and North Carolina will probably battle it out. Pitt would be my dark horse. And then if Miami can somehow just keep their head on straight for a full year and not lose inexplicably to, you know, Florida International and other teams like that, then, you know, I think they would be, a, you know, the other team that could certainly contend. Not Virginia, though. Virginia is down. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. You had your year. Bryce Perkins is gone. Uh, I don't care that Brendan Armstrong is supposedly the next Taysom Hill. Uh, they're gonna, they, they were Bryce Perkins last year. It's and over. He was great, but Virginia Tech is taking back the cup. And I, I don't care if I come across biased. UVA is is not winning the, co- the Commonwealth Cup two years in a row. Tech's taking that back in Blacksburg this year. Gotcha. Um, Pat, you got a question for Charlotte uh, and, and soccer. What's going on? Okay, Josh. I come from a soccer family, so I got to ask you this question. Tell me about your expectations for the new MLS team that's coming to Charlotte. Because I was, I was watching the uh, the Nashville MLS team play last night. They packed uh, Nissan Stadium to the gills. Atlanta United has been selling out like crazy. Uh, is, is this Charlotte MLS expansion team going to follow uh, the other you know southeastern cities with? Uh, huge following. I'm optimistic that it can. It's hard to predict that you're going to have the same kind of fervor that Atlanta and Nashville have. I mean, Atlanta won the cup. What is it? It's either his first or second year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nashville's obviously been really good as well. I mean, the the thing they have going for them is I'm pretty sure there's no salary cap or any restrictions like that. 
they have the richest owner in the MLS. <laughs> Dave Tepper is worth $12 billion. And from the conversations that I've had with you know soccer experts, they have all said that if you spend the money, you can win in the MLS. And it, by all accounts, Dave Tepper is going to do that. Um, I don't know how quickly that will translate into a you know, constant sellouts and a you know raucous atmosphere. I'm sure that's what they're hoping for. Um, the stadium also isn't built for soccer, so they're trying to do a lot of renovations now to kind of help with that, uh, bring the stands a little bit closer and change the tunnel situation or whatever. But, I mean, I think that if Dave Tepper spends the money, I think he absolutely can. The thing that's going to be really interesting to watch here is that the biggest stars that have come – you know, the Wayne Rooney types and uh, Ibrahimovic types that have come over from Europe and finished their careers in, the, in America, they went to coastal cities, uh, major, major markets, you know, L.A., Miami, D.C. Charlotte's not there. Um, and I wonder if that's going to hurt them if they wanted to go out and get insert player X. Like people are hoping they, there's pipe dreams of Lionel Messi coming to Charlotte. I just I don't see that happening. I feel like he would end up somewhere. You know, like Miami, like Cristiano Ronaldo, who I think owns part of the Miami club, like that kind of thing. So I, I'm excited, though. I'm not a, like a gigantic soccer fan. I like soccer. I'll definitely go to games. But uh, it's been a really good home for International Cup games for the last few years. So hopefully that translates when the MLS starts next year. Excellent answer. I wasn't expecting all that. Um, <laughs> rapid, rapid fire Panthers here to wrap it up. I've mixed in some of mine here. What do you want to see in the draft? I saw you tweet about Isaiah Simmons. I'll tell you, I want Isaiah. I really just don't care about the NFL like I used to, but I really want to see Isaiah Simmons in New York. I think he, uh, for the Giants, I think he's going to be awesome. You should because he's the best player in the draft. He's amazing. Well, outside of Chase Young, Chase Young's amazing, but Isaiah Simmons is. I love that dude, and I just feel like in football today. I mean, you you guys know this. The most important thing in football is creating mismatches, right? It's mm-hmm. about you know using personnel, pre-snap motion. You know, alignment, formation, whatever it might be to try to create a pre-snap advantage, whether it's a running back on a linebacker or a tight end on a wide or on a cornerback, like whatever it might be. You're trying to create a mismatch. And Isaiah Simmons is basically a queen on a chessboard. Yeah, like you can move him anywhere on the board and he fits because he's got the speed, he's got the strength, he can he's basically impossible to create a mismatch for, which is I feel like exactly what you're looking for in a defensive player these days. I don't care that he doesn't have a label or he doesn't have a position. He is amazing. And I mean, he just blew off the doors at the NFL combine, which just only adds to, you know, my hype level for him. I I think he's going to be amazing. He's not lasting to seven. Like I would love to see him in Carolina, but the giants are going to take him. Somebody has got to take him before seven. I'd I'd be stunned if he falls that far. Here's the next, the next segment, Cam Newton, question mark. A lot of people are asking about Cam Newton. I'm interested to see what you're, what you have with Cam Newton. How do you feel about him? Have we seen his apex? I say yes. And what what do you want to do moving forward? Oh, man. All right. So I talk about this for 30 hours a week. I'll try to sum this up in like <laughs> a minute and a half. Um, here's the thing with Cam. When you're looking at a car, right, and you're trying maybe trying to buy a used car, you might see a 2017 model that has 150,000 miles on it in three years. And you might see a 2014 model, but it only has 60,000 miles. The older model with less mileage is more valuable. Cam is a newer model that has a ton of mileage. I mean, two shoulder surgeries, an ankle injury, a foot injury that you know he just recently is recovering from now, concussions, a car accident. I mean, like his body has been through a ton. 
So people look at him and say he's 31 years old. He should still have another five to eight years in the NFL. But he's also taken more hits than any quarterback in the league since he came in by a substantial margin, <laughs> like hundreds of more hits than the next closest guy, which is Russell Wilson. Um, he just has taken so much pain and, and punishment on his body that he's at 31 years old. It's, it's not that simple. And I think for the Panthers, they run the risk of running it back with him and him never reclaiming the value that he had earlier in his career. Yes, we've seen his apex. He'll never do what he did in 2015. Uh, that, yep. that was one of the most dominant seasons we've ever seen from a quarterback. I think he is at his peak the best dual threat quarterback in NFL history. Nobody has been able to do the things he has been able to do with both his legs and his feet or rather his legs and his arm. But I find the Panthers, I, I and I, I mean, I, I know this for a fact that the, the Panthers are definitely looking to trade him. They just might not be able to find someone who'll take him. I mean, other teams are going to have those same concerns that I just mentioned. It's yeah, there's upside there, but are we really, are we really willing to risk giving up, you know, a first or a second round pick? for a quarterback who may not even be able to last 16 games, not to mention it's his last year of his contract. So I could go on for another 30 hours if you want, but there you go. There's my, there's my short, the shortest I could make in my answer on Cam Newton. Uh, I wanted to take a second before we, before we wrap up here and say, thank you. Uh, a couple uh, months into, or before I even started doing the hung up podcast with my buddy, Willie, uh, I went on LinkedIn and I typed in sports media, sports journalism, ESPN, uh, and then Virginia tech. And you came up and you were uh, you gave me some great advice, were super helpful when I was getting started. And um, I can say with 100 percent confidence that I wouldn't be here without uh, the advice of you and, and, and some others that have helped me um, really figure out this thing. And as I continue to learn, it's a ton of fun. And uh, I just want to say thank you for then and thank you for now. This has been this has just been a ton of fun. Well, I mean, that's really, really cool to hear. And as someone who wouldn't be where I am now. Um, without the help of a ton of other people, it's really important that, you know, we all help one another out. And I, I'm sure you, you probably already had people come and ask you for help too, and you will in the future as well. So it's, it's always about just p- playing it forward, man, passing the buck and always being willing to help people out, especially Hokies, man. We need, we need as many of them as we can get. Hoda Kotb can't be the only celebrity in this space for much longer. We got to, <laughs> we got to catch up to her sometime. That's exactly right. We got, we got the, uh, the Bill Roth media program, which has been, amazing absolutely crazy and blown up i know um yeah i know landon watson when he came in on his recruiting visit he was really fired up about that and so was his mom so that's you know maybe that's the future right there yeah yeah actually i real quickly i know we've gone on forever but just one thing on phil roth that that is an amazing thing to happen to the communication program that he is back and in, in teaching there he has totally changed the game and, and nothing against the, the people who were there when I was in school, but it, it's hit a different level with him. Um, I, I've been able to witness it from afar. I've had a lot of conversations with Bill. I, I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for Bill Roth. I mean, I sat in the stands when I was seven years old and I had a buddy of mine, his name was Caleb Schrader, and he would be Mike Burnup and I would be Bill Roth. <laughs> and we would literally do the, the play-by-play and the, the color for games from the stands awesome. watching games when we were little. I mean, I, we would turn and, and my parents would turn the TV on mute for away games and we would listen on delay. And this is before DVR. So like you couldn't even sync it up with the radio. Like you, you already saw the play and we were listening to the radio from 20 seconds later. Anyway, listening to Bill Roth and Mike Burnup. He's, he's been such a, an instrumental part of my life. He, he doesn't even know it, but um, 
yeah, I mean, he he would I wouldn't be where I am without him. And I, I I'm jealous that the people who are there now get him as an instructor because I mean they shouldn't take him for granted. He's he's so instrumental to just the the popularity and the success of this program and and that department for sure. That's awesome, Josh. Where where can we uh where can we catch you? What do you got to plug? Where can we listen to you? What do you have coming up? Um, where can we catch you? Sure. Um, so follow me on Twitter at Josh Parcell. Um, I will not start any more Twitter beefs with Norm Wood. Um, I've tired. <laughs> well, we're not, we, can't from... skip, we can't skip over that. What? <laughs> I'm glad you brought that we, up. We uh, wanted to ask about it. <laughs> did I? Did I have to be the one to bring it up? <laughs> yes. Oh man, the uh, the the war heard round Blacksburg at least. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll go through this really quickly. Listen, um, Norm. I have no like issue with Norm. I had no issue with Norm Wood. Um, I don't even really understand where it all started, but uh, somehow we got into some sort of back and forth. Oh, it was over Lee Greenwood. God bless America. That's right. It was over Lee Greenwood. See, I, I'm being dead serious. I like did not remember that off the top of my head. But now that you say it, that's exactly how it started. So great song. Uh, yeah, it's a fine song, and I just remember there being this like battle of him back and forth with like some Twitter fans and I chimed in and I don't even remember what I said now, but Norm got annoyed. And then we had this like back and forth argument and it was whatever, like it was a silly, stupid argument on the internet. There's millions of those. And then he decided to go like way below the belt and like make some personal shot about me, like losing my job a few years ago, which by the way, Norm, if you're listening was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got a full-time radio job out of it in a major market. So shout out to ESPN for firing me. You actually helped my career. Um, but Norm tried to get like all personal and I was like, okay, well, if we're going to go there, let's go there. And listen, Norm Woods, a fine sports writer. He's a terrible comedian. And he was trying to go blow for blow for me on one liners and witty snarky remarks and he got his butt kicked, and I'm not going to apologize for that. But uh, after the fact, uh, I'm, I moved on. I, I, I probably took it a little too far. Um, I may have called him a, uh, a, a member of the male anatomy at one point. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mildly regret that. Um, I'm not going to pretend like it wasn't funny. Uh, but uh, probably something I'm going to avoid moving forward. Um but yeah, uh, I, I feel like I had to point it out, and now the world knows what Norm Wood's name translates to. Um, you can go find that out for yourself. The tweet is still up, but I will not. I will not uh, engage in any more Norm Wood battles from now. I, I actually think I've muted him once. I haven't blocked him. I'm not going to give him that satisfaction. I've just muted him. I don't need to read him in my life. There you go. There <laughs> and you. Pat loves Pat loves the mute button. Uh, the mute button is great. It oh, really it's is great. Critical. It's like wow, I don't have to see this. Okay, out of sight, out of mind. But uh, Josh, this has been a ton of fun. Any uh, last second, last minute shout outs here that you like to give for the uh, the people of the Suns? And where can uh, we catch you? We missed it. We missed oh, yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and where can we catch you? You got us yeah. all out of the norm. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Thanks, Norm Wood, for sidetracking my career one more time. Um, so uh, Wilson and Parcel in the middays in Charlotte from 10 to 2. And then I host the final drive from 6 to 7. If you're not in Charlotte, you can stream it on uh, WFNZ.com or the Radio.com app. It's actually the best place to go is the Radio.com app. Um, and I'm also on Sirius XM, so uh, I'll push out whenever I'm on the show. Um, I host the ACC afternoon show usually once or twice a week. That's channel 371 on ACC radio, and occasionally I'm on ESPNU radio as well. So kind of bounce around on XM. 
Um, and I'm hoping to fire up College Football Country, the podcast, again. Yes, yes. I, I was going to ask of, you. Yeah, I was going to so. I listened to that all. Uh, when it, I listened to every episode, I was a huge fan. I was wondering where it went. Thank um, you. Well, awesome. listen, when, when you do 30 other hours of radio a week, it, it got to be a little much. Um, I didn't want to have to give it up, uh, but I mm-hmm. kind of had to focus on the other stuff. So, yeah, no, my plan is to bring it back. I'm in a groove now. Awesome. Um, I want to bring it back. So uh, look for that very soon. Uh, but, yeah, between Sons of Saturday and College Football Country, you'll have all the uh, college football <laughs> talk that you need. This this was awesome. We'd love to do this again. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Josh. Uh, we'll be tuned in. And, and seriously, I do look forward to the return of College Football Country. You got a great intro, by the way. Very jealous of your intro. So uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Looking Thanks, forward to man. it, Josh. Appreciate it, guys. Josh, Shout out Josh. to Dave Price, by the way. There it is. Section there 5. Is. Section 5. <laughs> Ryu Samsung